All right. Russell was uh, sad that he couldn't be here with you this morning. He is actually uh, performing a wedding that he didn't realize was so early in the day. So a while back, he reached out and asked if I would fill in, and I gladly accepted that invitation because I love to do this. This is, uh, this is a lot of fun for me. I have had one of the busiest weeks of my life, and I feel like finally we're, we're here. We're Sunday morning. I can take a deep breath and relax, and this is a lot of fun to me. So Andrew read the scripture. We're going to be in 1 John. We're continuing on in the Better Life series that Russell has been preaching. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 4. If you're a note taker, 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They're going to pass some out to you there. You can uh, keep that Bible if you want. Uh, if you don't have one, we'd, we'd love for you to take that home and it be your Bible. Uh, it, if we find it on sale uh, on eBay, then, then we're probably going to, you know, send you an invoice or something. I'm kidding. 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Again, if you're a note taker, the title of this sermon, the main idea of this sermon, if you want to write it down, is test the spirit and know the truth. Test the spirit and know the truth. Okay? Let's talk a little bit about John and set up this text before we dive right into it. So John, the author of this book, is also the author of the gospel of John. And... Uh, and he's writing this book of 1 John in a time uh, that it was suspected to be written as an early form of Gnosticism was, was showing up on the scene. And this form of Gnosticism taught that there is a divine light that exists already in the human soul. And all that you need to do is to affirm that light. Okay, so that was the popular uh, theological twist in that among that church in that community. And this was not uncommon for churches throughout the region to have to go, uh, to have to deal with this type of twisted theology that, that was circulating in the community. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, we see that Paul has come into the Galatians and he has taught that salvation equals faith in Christ alone. Faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation, and the false prophets had come in behind him. Even some of those that are in the church, which we're going to see here in 1 John, said, hey, Jesus is great, the cross is great, but you still need to be circumcised. And so Paul had to go in and debunk that myth. We see that in 1 John, as John is going to go in and do the same sort of thing. So let's pick up. In verse 1, read with me. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. <clears throat> now at this time, the time this book was written is 84, somewhere between 84 to 96 AD. And <clears throat> Jesus having died on the cross somewhere around 33 AD, the momentum that Christianity had built had waned a bit at this point. So it was kind of like all of this excitement had built up 
And you know how things are, even in our own times and our own communities, when, when something is really popular and there's a lot of excitement about it, people will flock to it. And that's what happened in the church. People had flocked to it. And the Christians in this church that John is speaking to, they've seen some from their own ranks leave and go out, some of whom have even become false prophets. So they're, they're dealing with this false theology, this ideology that's out in the world, and they're also having some of the people that they've served alongside of begin to follow that ideology and begin to promote it themselves within the church. And so this causes uh, some issues for them. Now, these folks, it's, it's important for us to mention these folks that are in the ranks of the church that have gone out and become false prophets or believed this type of twisted theology, the Bible would, would teach us that they were not truly believers in the first place, okay? So that's important for us to note. The Bible would teach us that. And, you know, I, I would kind of equate them to the, a bandwagon believer. They're, they're kind of like the Dallas Cowboy fans in the 90s right? In their heyday, when you had Emmett Smith and Troy Aikman and Michael Irvin and all those folks in there, I, I, guilty as charged. Okay, I love the Cowboys in the 90s. Not so much now. Uh, I walked into our corporate office, the IT department uh, in Dallas, and uh, I walk in and the head of IT on his desk, he has a Seattle Seahawks um, little uh, bobblehead figure He has a Seattle Seahawks poster on the wall. He's got a Seattle Seahawks-themed keyboard on his computer. And so I asked him the obvious question, hey, man, are you from Seattle? No, he's not. He claims he's been a Seattle Seahawks fan for years, right? We all know that's a big fat lie. He got swept up. He got swept up in the excitement of the Super Bowl. He got swept up in the in the Richard Sherman Campbell soup commercials and decided that he was a Seahawks fan. We'll see how that turns out here in a couple of years. He's not a true fan. I, I want to mention, you know, example of a true fan. My uh, my father-in-law, who's here, who's here today, and, and my wife. They are the biggest. Aggie football fans on the face of the earth. Thank you. Thank you. They are just, their hearts are glowing with joy because you just whooped for them. They know, my father-in-law can tell you the names of the high school kids around the state of Texas that are just pondering the idea of going to Texas A&M to play football for them. He's a true fan. And much like a true fan, he knows the difference between the fakes and, and the real, the real stuff. So when I first started dating Sarah, we, uh, <coughs> all Sarah's idea, <coughs> we decided we were going to play a trick on him. It was actually my first time meeting him. <coughs> so we buy this really nice football, and we forge a bunch of Aggie football player signatures on it. <coughs> with their numbers. We made it look extremely legit. And so we give it to him. I meet him. Hey, how you doing? I'm now dating your daughter. He gives me kind of the stink eye. And, uh, and we give him this football. And he's, at first, he's so excited. And he gets so excited that fear creeps into my heart. And I think, oh, no. He, he's really excited. And now we've got to tell him 
that this is a fraud. This is a fake. But just as we're getting ready to drop that news on him, he notices some of the signatures don't look quite right. Some of the names are from different years and different teams, and they're all kind of jumbled together, and he's kind of thinking, hey, what's going on here? And so he found us out even before we really spilled the beans, because he's a true fan, right? He's a true fan. We as true believers should test the spirit. How will we test the spirit if we don't know the truth? If you've been a believer for any length of time, you have seen friends that you've counted as brothers and sisters in the faith that have chased after a twisted version of the gospel. You've seen them leave the the rank and file of our Christian community, if you will, and uh, turn their back on God and go out into the world. And it's it's left you hurt. It's left you confused. It's left you afraid even, right? Because you thought you knew that person and you felt like if it can happen to them, can it, can it happen to me? Can I really, could I really be, could my ears really be tickled for some fancy new theology and chase after that? Could I really be deceived? It leaves us worried about our own salvation. And so, if that's you, and, uh, and it's left you questioning your faith, I say, good for you. Question away. I think it's important to question our faith and know what we really believe. As long as it's not attached to fear, right? Fear imprisons us, and the truth brings us freedom. So don't be afraid to test the spirits and to know whether or not they're from God. Let's read on. Paul is going to give them the litmus test. How can they test these spirits and judge and see whether or not they are from God? Verse 2 and 3 says, By this you know that the Spirit of God, by, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is already in the world. So let's break that down a little bit and let's talk about this litmus test that that John gives to the people. It was indicative of the message that was being uh, passed around in that day. So that form of Gnosticism and, and other half-truths that were floating around out there were, were saying, look, Jesus was never really fully human. He never really fully came in the flesh. He was kind of like part God, part man. That eats at the core of Christian theology. And it's important to note that most of those types of, of half-truths that get passed around have some root in the, in the true gospel, right? Like the fact that that Jesus is both God and man is true, right? But there's an important distinction to be made in the, in the text. Jesus was not 50% God and 50% man. Important for us to understand that. He was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. That may seem like I'm splitting hairs, but it's a very important part of our theology as Christians, one that we should dwell on for a moment because you have to think about the fact that Jesus being fully human, fully man, 
He faced all of the temptations, all of the joys, all of the depression, the sadness, the hunger, the exhaustion that we as humans face. He walked in our shoes. Being fully God, as the scripture says, he was the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him, the scripture tells us, right? So he's also 100% God, feeling the heartache and the pain that comes with living amongst a broken world. This makes him uniquely qualified to be a paid ransom for our sin. It makes him uniquely, uniquely qualified to be a sacrifice for us. And so by, by these false prophets coming in and questioning the humanity of Christ, they're eating away at the core, the core foundation of Scripture, the core foundation of the Christian theology. So it's important for us to debunk that as well. And as we go through these, that's what I hope to accomplish this morning is some of the things that these, these folks in, in the church at that time were dealing with are some of the same things that we deal with today. Some of the, thing, some, some of the same lies that are being perpetrated that we can go in and debunk as we go through these scriptures this morning. Now let's talk for a moment about the spirit of the Antichrist. Ooh, that's the boogie word, right? It's the boogie word. So let's, let's talk about it like this. Simply put, there is one who will come who will be the Antichrist. The scriptures talk about him as the lawless one. Several other names that they have for him throughout the Bible. There is one coming who will lead the ultimate um, revolution, if you will. But there's also a spirit of the Antichrist, an anti-Christian spirit, if you will, that is already, already exists in the world. And those, as we'll learn here in a moment, those that do not follow the voice and the spirit of Christ are by their nature following the spirit of the Antichrist. And so if you're new to church uh, and you're here this morning, don't hear me wrong. I don't, don't go home and tell your friends that I called you the Antichrist. That's not, uh, that's not what I'm getting at here this morning. What I'm trying to say is that everyone is guided. Everyone is guided by a certain mentality. Their hearts are, are steered by a certain uh, spirit. And there are a lot of people out there in the world that are not actively opposing Christianity. They're not actively against Jesus. They just don't care, right? It's just not important to them. Just living their lives, doing their thing. And I guess the sad news of the, of the scripture is that there's no middle ground there. You're, you're, either, you're either of, to put it in, in a vocabulary that we can kind of grasp. You're either of the pro-Christian spirit or the anti-Christian spirit. There's no spirit of the neutral Christ. There's no neutrality there. There's one or the other, as the scripture will go on to talk to us about here in a moment. And, and we Christians, we're guilty of fearing that spirit, right? Like it kind of, it kind of sparks a fear in us and we're afraid that it's going to somehow grip us and grab a hold of us. Am I the only one there? Can I, can, can I get an amen on that? Do you guys amen? Okay, no, it's cool. It's all right. It's fine. No amens. I'm the only one. So 
the scripture in verse 4 goes on, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you, meaning the Holy Spirit, is greater than he who is in the world, meaning the anti-Christian spirit, Satan, his demons, all of those things that we're kind of weirded out about talking about. But I'll tell you this, we overestimate the enemy. We overestimate him. We fear him and we give him too much credit. I'll tell you a story. When I was in the fourth or fifth grade, I would go to school every day and my mother would pack uh, a lunch for me, and it typically consisted of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and a juice, a juice box and a cupcake. I had a cupcake, you know, the little hostess cupcakes with the, with the white swirl on the, on the top. You know what I'm talking about. I love that. My mom packed it for me every day, but some days I wouldn't, I'd be full at lunch after the sandwich and all that stuff and whatever I picked off of my friend's plates and and uh, I wouldn't eat the cupcake until later when I was on the school bus. And so one day showed, uh, up showed this new kid. He was a new kid at school, and he instantly soared in popularity. I mean, he was, he was this good-looking guy, kind of, kind of acted like a tough guy. All the girls really liked him. Like, oh, who's this new kid, you know? And uh, he happened to sit next to me on the school bus. And... I pulled my cupcake out to eat it, and he said, hey, um, can I have that cupcake? I said, sure, man. New kid, you know, I was trying to be nice. Give him the cupcake. And every day after that, he asked for my cupcake on the bus. And one day, I said, hey, I'm sorry, man. I, I ate the cupcake at lunch. And so he instructed me that I was not to eat my cupcake at lunch. I was supposed to save it for him and give it to him every day on the school bus. And so I'm starting to feel a little bullied here. And so the next day, in defiance, I scarfed my cupcake down at lunch. And I get to the school bus, and he sees that I don't have my cupcake, and he's angry. And he begins to bully me, and he rips my lunch kit away from me, and is searching it for the cupcake. And, uh, and so days of this go on, being bullied this way. And I'm afraid to, to really stand up for myself. And finally, I'd had enough. And so I said, the only thing I knew to say, I said, why don't, why don't you get off the bus at my stop today? Those were fighting words. <laughs> Those were fighting words. So, so he agrees, and we get off the bus. And, uh, and we walk down my road a little ways, and we're standing in the neighbor's driveway. And I took a stand. And I said, look, you're never getting my cupcake again. <laughs> this is a big deal. We're arguing over a cupcake. I said, you're not going to bully me, and I'm never giving you my cupcake again. It's over. And he runs and pushes me as hard as he can, and I fall flat on my back. And I got up, and I put my fist up. And we began to circle each other. And this epic music is playing <laughs> in my head. And I get a little closer to him, and I feel him out, and I landed a right cross square between his eyes on his forehead. And he fell back, completely shocked that this 75-pound fifth grader just knocked him down. And this moment was like, okay, what's he going to do? And he gets up, and he takes off running. So the next day at school, I told every single person I came 
in contact with. Because I learned that this bully was not as tough as I thought he was. And that's, that's how we need to view the spirit of the world, this anti-Christian spirit that we're so afraid is going to seize us and grab a hold of us. God is bigger. The Holy Spirit that is in us is bigger than the one that is in the world. Let's not forget that not only is he bigger, but he's in charge, right? So if you are familiar with the story of Job, Satan had to go to God and get permission from God to do all of those things that he did to Job. And that's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother rabbit trail that I would love to chase, but I'm not going to do that. That's for another time. God also ordered a lying spirit into the mouth of the prophets in 1 Kings chapter uh, 18, I believe it is. Uh, So he ordered a lying spirit into the mouth of the prophet that went and deceived King Jehoshaphat before he went into battle. Jesus ordered the unclean spirit out of the man and into the herd of pigs in the town that he was passing through. God is in control. He's in charge. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's greater. And if you're a believer, God is also your keeper. So you belong to him. You know his voice. He knows yours. No one is capable of taking you away from him. Let's read on in verse 5 and 6. It says, they are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. Those folks that are from the world in this passage, the false prophets, the antichrist, they speak from the social constructs of the world. Their viewpoints are from the world and the world listens to them. Their views are popular with the world. It says, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You know, I would love, I would love for this to be like one of those really feel-good sermons, like we're all, you know, wrap our arms around each other, and we're going to get there by the end of it. But this is a hard message, right? This is a kind of an us versus them mentality that's not extremely popular. And we're going to uncover that here in a moment. But I want, to, I want to just give you some assurance that if you're saved, if you're truly saved, there's no recourse for Satan. There's, there's nothing that he can do. There's no trading teams. There's no screwing this one up. You are too small You are way too small to mess up the plan of salvation that God put into motion since before the foundation of the earth. It's a little arrogant, honestly, for us to think that as believers in Christ, as those that have truly put our faith in him, that we are so powerful that we could mess it up. God God is bigger than that. He's stronger than that. Have you ever, you know, when we talk, we talk about knowing the voice of God, have you, have you ever tried to, tried to talk to your kids while they're, while they're watching TV? Mine, uh, Bo and Reed, the twins you see running around here most of the time. If we're in a crowded room full of people, if there was commotion going on all that stuff and, and I yelled for them and I, to come here, they would instantly know that's my dad 
and I'm going to go, I'm going to follow his voice and go towards him. They would know me by the sound of my voice, but I can stand 10 feet from them while they're sitting in the living room watching TV and speak at a, at a reasonable volume and they will continue to stare at the TV with their mouth hanging open and they won't hear a word I said. Now, anatomically, they will, they will hear what I said. The sound waves will enter into their ear cavity and the ear cavity and their eardrum will vibrate and it will send the message to their brain, but something's blocking that message, right? They're not getting it. They're focused on the TV. That is so like us, right? God is speaking to us through his people, through his word. And we're so distracted. We're so distracted by all of these other things in life. We stare at them with our mouths hanging wide open, not hearing a word that God is trying to tell us. And so, if you, if you're there and you're distracted, and maybe you're even a little bit worried about the fact that you may believe something that's untrue, that's a fear you have. How will you know if you don't know the truth? How will you know if you don't listen to God? And I'll, I'll tell you, it's interesting. Uh, Hebrews 1, to make this connection, Hebrews 1, verse 1 says that at many times and in many ways in the past, God spoke to us through his prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus. And then he, uh, John goes on to say that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Talking about Jesus Christ being the very word of God in the flesh. And so we can put those two together and say God is speaking to us through his word and instead we're scrolling through Facebook, right? I am so guilty. I am so guilty. We get our news, we get our social interaction, all of those things from social media. We portray even uh, a lifestyle or a persona that is partially untrue on the social media platforms. All the while, all of these love letters that God has written to us just sit there and they collect dust, right? They collect dust. And so my hope for you is that you would be spurred on to know the truth by digging into the word of God and finding out what it really says about the things that matter, right? And if you're here this morning and, and I, I want to kind of touch on the fact of that we have this scripture here that seems a bit polarizing. Uh, if you're new to the Christian community and you're just kind of checking it out, let me explain something to you. We are all about you. We're all about loving you. We're all about putting our arms around you and befriending you. And um, whether you believe what we believe or not, right? This is not a, hey, believe what we believe or we don't really want to have anything to do with you. It's more, hey, regardless of what you believe, Jesus was all about loving people. In fact, if you dig through the life and the times of Jesus and the scripture, you'll find that instead of hanging out with all the religious people, he hung out with like the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the, and the folks that were far away from God. And he loved on those people, whether they loved him back or not. In fact, 
Our scripture this morning tells us that those of the world listen to the world and they speak from the world and those that are from God listen to God. And even Jesus, he didn't convince everyone in his day. People didn't go around and and hear Jesus and just go, oh, okay, I'm going to believe all of that. He had a lot of people that turned away from his message that didn't believe what he was preaching and he loved them anyway. And so that's that's our hope. We... Do not believe that a differing opinion can, can cause strife in our friendship. I think everyone's entitled to that, right? And I think our world, honestly, would be a little, a little more easygoing if we just agreed that that was okay. We can all have our own beliefs and our own convictions. We can love each other in the way that Christ calls us to love each other just the same, right? 